When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. To episode 161 of the Sources Say Podcast, your go-to Kentucky basketball and recruiting podcast on the Growing KSR Podcast Network. The Sources Say Podcast is, as always, presented by our good friends at Justice Dental. You can make an appointment at one of two Lexington locations. That's on Wellington Way and Blazer Parkway. Now is a great time to schedule your dental cleaning. Remember that regular dental appointments are important for your overall health. You can learn more and make an appointment at justicedental.com. Dr. Justice and Dr. Thompson look forward to seeing you soon. I am your host, Jack Pilgrim of Kentucky Sports Radio. Very happy to be joined once again by the one and only Sean Smith of Go Big Blue Country. Sean, how the heck are you? I'm fantastic, Jack. How are you? Oh, I'm feeling absolutely splendid following Kentucky's comeback victory. It's second in a row. They defeat the LSU Tigers 71-66 at Rupp Arena on Wednesday night, Sean. It was a late one. It was one that I was not happy to wake up. I was not uh, excited to uh, – it was a, a rough sleep because I had to get up rather early this morning, but I was not looking forward to that uh, alarm this morning. But, uh, Sean, it was uh, – I, I went to bed quite pleased because Kentucky, once again, like they did against Alabama, they fall behind early get down by double digits in the first half. LSU is making uh, jump shot after jump shot, some open, some with a hand in their face. Just, you know, some of them just can't do anything about it. When they're hot, they're hot. Uh, they finally turn that tide late in the first half, kind of slowly find that uh, momentum there. Still going to half with a, a solid deficit, but then open the second half shot, uh, just firing out the gates, led by none other than Bryce Hopkins, the MVP of the day. I know we had Oscar Sheeway's stand-up performance, but, Sean, I, I can't start the show with anybody but Bryce Hopkins. What a performance from him. He finishes with 13 points. All in the second half, he goes 5 of 6, shooting 3 of 6 from the free throw line, 4 rebounds. Sean, he was he was magnificent. He was everything that uh, the Kentucky coaching staff hyped up to be, everything that we heard kind of scuttlebutt. Uh, leading up to the season, all the off-season practice reports. I, I, I got to admit, Sean, we hit the nail on the head with pretty much everything else. We hit it with Kellen Grady being a knockdown shooter. Uh, we heard it with Ty Ty Washington being a star you know, potential type threat. And we heard it with Oscar Sheboy being a stable force down low. Uh, but the fourth guy that everybody kept mentioning was Bryce Hopkins. And he was the one guy that hadn't stepped up at any point this season. Sean, he goes out for a career high to uh, will the Kentucky Wildcats back from uh, the, their, I guess it was an 11-point deficit in the first half, will them back for the comeback win 
They win 71-66. So we'll start with overall takeaways. My biggest was obviously Bryce Hopkins. What are your thoughts? Yeah, he was the spark that they needed there in the second half. And once they got that run from him, it kind of elevated the rest of the team. You you saw the reaction from Jacob Toppin, the bench, all the guys. John Calipari, I'm pretty sure at one point did Ric Flair's like move where he like kind of danced down the sideline for a few steps after one of Hopkins put back dunks or put back baskets. I don't know if you saw that or not, but Cal was fired up for him. Um, I feel like that energy in itself, just him going and making that play, the, this, I think it was the first basket, then the second basket, and then everybody got fired up because, you know, one basket's like, all right, he hit a jumper, but then he goes and gets an offensive rebound, then he does it again. Those plays just pick the team up entirely. And I think that they just got decided to ride that wave of momentum the rest of the way. And and who would have thought that Bryce Hopkins would be the spark? And the thing with me, Jack, is you go across this roster now and you've had five guys score 25-plus points in a game. You've had Damian Collins step up and play at Alabama now you've had Bryce Hopkins do his thing. To me, it feels like of all the guys that have kind of stepped up for one game here and there, like Damon and Bryce or maybe a Lance, it feels almost like Bryce has, has the ability to actually maybe sustain that and do it again and maybe kind of hit a run here. He he was really good getting to the rim last night. It was all offensive rebounds, getting by his man, uh, knocking down that mid-range jumper. He was playing with a ton of confidence. I could see him kind of carving out a role if, if he can do that again on Saturday and Bud Walton Arena, it feels like he maybe could sustain some of the success and carry it over for a few games. Yeah, and here's the thing. We all heard this offseason. It was all the same stuff. He's super skilled. He has a unique combination of that size and skill where he's, uh, you know, a little bit stout, you know, not a, a super skinny kid. He has some some ba- a wider base to him, uh, but a, a ton of strength. But he's got that speed. He's got that athleticism. He's got that versatility. He, can, he moves very, very well. And that's part of the reason, Sean, he was putting up, uh, you know, 30-plus points per game at, at the high school level. It, you know, you, you'd see a, a stat line, Bryce Hopkins with Fenwick goes for 36 points and, and 13 rebounds and a win. Like, that was something that he did. He was a, a just a, a bucket getter at the high school level. That was something that we thought was one of the easiest traits because he was kind of one of those all-skill, um, not necessarily uh, – you know, athleticism or speed or, uh, you know, length that kind of the, the, what Cal usually goes for Bryce Hopkins was the opposite of all of that stuff. So we kind of thought going into the year, all of this stuff should ideally translate to the college level better than a lot of, you know, even like the Damian Collins of the world, who is kind of all athleticism, all potential, all length, those type of things. Uh, I thought that Bryce was more college ready for uh, right out the gates in every opportunity that he's had. He just, I don't know if they, they it was because he was playing out of position. I always thought that he thrived best as a small ball four. Cal would put him at the three, and he'd put the ball on the floor, and he'd turn it over, dribble off his knee, uh, take bad shots, and get pulled almost immediately. We never got the chance to see Bryce in a long, consistent run where he could kind of play through some of those mistakes and, and uh, you know, kind of a, a, a three steps forward, one step back situation. Uh, as opposed to some of the stuff we saw before, it was it was a yeah. He still made some mistakes. He got beat defensively. He took a couple, ba- you know, one bad shot. I know, but outside of that, I mean, he it, it was almost a flawless performance. And it was one that I'm I'm sure uh, gave him a ton of confidence. And it, I mean, if Sean, if we're talking about another added piece like this, another scoring threat that's capable of, of coming off the bench and giving you ten plus points any given night, I mean. 
again, what a freaking tool to have as this team slowly inches closer toward March. We're three games away uh, from the SEC tournament, and, and then from there, it's it's one and done. So what a way to uh, kind of have that welcome welcoming party uh, in, a, in a performance like this one. Yeah, and, and now you just want to see him do it again, right? Like you, and it doesn't have to go for thirteen or anything like that. But you want to be able to, you want to see him be able to sustain that success, come back and do it in another game. And, and if he can do that and add some more depth and, and a guy that could move to the three if they need it, especially the way they've been shorthanded the last week or so, or, or play the four, it'd be huge for the, for this team down the stretch. But last night, another quality win. I mean, it's just an unbelievable win. The last two wins are the most impressive to me, given the different style of play that they've had to play to win both those games. Like Alabama was an up-tempo, up and down, take a lot of threes. LSU started out hot last night. Kentucky could not buy a basket. LSU was defending very well. And then Kentucky got some stops of their own in the second half and turned that into some transition opportunities. Their their defense started – uh, kind of buckling in. Kellen Grady got to the rim some. Davion Mintz got to the rim. Bryce Hopkins got going. It, to me, this is – when you look at this thing on Selection Sunday and the committee looks at Kentucky, their, there's, their resume, like you had the loss at LSU, you had the loss at Auburn where they were shorthanded and had injuries on the fly. You have the early season losses to Notre Dame. I honestly don't think, though, that the committee is going to be able to sit down and look at any other team in college basketball and know more about them than they do Kentucky. Like, Kentucky, to me, is the most solidified team in college basketball right now because we've seen them win games in different ways. We've seen them we've seen them win games with different lineups, and we've also got to see what they look like at full strength. I just feel like that Kentucky is set in who they are. You've heard John Calipari say that now for about a week and a half, that they know who they are. They're established. And I think the last two games proved that more than anything. And it, it was what we talked about after that last episode. It's a, it's nothing but a win-win situation. This was a game that you kind of assumed that Ty Ty was going to be out, but you didn't know if, if Savir would give it a go. And then, you know, I got to Rupp Arena 90 minutes, hour-ish before tip-off, and it was very, very clear that uh, – Neither of them were participating in the shoot-around. They weren't doing stretches. They were back in the locker room doing their own thing. And that's almost always, always a telltale sign that, that they will not be playing. So you kind of went into that again going, well, you know, was it just a one-off type deal? Is Kentucky able to, you know, turn one win into two under the same circumstances? Obviously, uh, LSU is a much, much, much better defensive team. They uh, clearly showed, you know, more defensive intensity, the – uh, effort was was ten times better than what we saw uh, against Alabama. But Sean, they fought through. They they fell behind. They forced the comeback. They clawed their way back, led by as many as I think uh, fifteen in the second half. Whatever it was, I, I think that's that number. Yeah, led by fifteen with with three seventeen to go. Really, a really strong performance outside of that last couple minutes. But uh, the the biggest takeaway is. You didn't need Xavier Wheeler or Ty Ty Washington. Those guys were able to sit on the bench, cheer from the sidelines. They were able to coach. They were able to, you know, be the ultimate cheerleaders, cheering on their their teammates while getting healthy. And this was another opportunity. I don't know if uh, how things will go down in Arkansas, but we kind of said the same thing against LSU. It's going to be really tough to win against this type of defense and uh, the the way they throw things at you. They, they they're going to try to complicate things and really make. Kellen Grady and Davion Mintz uncomfortable in their position, and they did that. But they still, it still wasn't enough to come out, uh, come out with the win. And 
better than anything out there. Win or loss, you were able to get Xavier Wheeler and Ty Ty Washington healthy uh, a little bit closer. Maybe they're 100%. They want to get to 110%, 115%. I don't know. Uh, but just the, the fact that they were able to carve out that victory, forget the last two minutes. We'll talk about that in a second, how, what went wrong there. But uh, a win's a win, and it was against a very solid opponent. It was while they were shorthanded. Sean, this was nothing short of a spectacular win uh, that, that only means – 10 times more knowing that you were able to get your, your two lead guards uh, that much healthier as we uh, approach postseason play. Yeah, won a game against an NCAA tournament team with only three assists. I mean, That's like, unbelievable. The numbers, like unbelievable. The numbers right? that came out after that were just unreal. About, uh, I don't think Cal has ever won a game with less than five assists uh, given the circle in SEC play or something. I, it, the, the, there were a bunch of different stats like that, but it, it, the stats basically said, if there was, if you had less than uh, less than five assists, maybe even three or less assists, uh, uh, fewer assists, that that the chances of winning were like ten percent or something. The, the numbers were just crazy, Sean. Yeah, and I'm looking at the box score too. And, and one thing that stands out to me, obviously LSU got called for a lot of fouls last night, and Kentucky spent a lot of time at the free throw line. They missed some of those early in the game. Second half, they were 16 of 21. I thought that was a, a big thing that that kind of overcomes when you when you look and you only see a team has three assists. Well, when you hit 16 free throws in the second half, that helps you a ton. You hit uh, how many for the game here? 23, 23 of 32 for the game. So they got a lot of points at the free throw line. Their guards started making some plays in the second half. The energy was there on the offensive end as well in the second half. They tried to establish, uh, establish Oscar early on that first possession and got to the free throw, and I think he missed both those free throws, if I'm not mistaken. That might have been two of the misses in the second half, but then you get a lot of good effort. Like I said, the Bryce Hopkins is where it starts. That run that he went on of his own, somebody else had a basket there in that stretch. It might have been Mintz, I think, got a transition basket. But when he got that three-point play, Kentucky never looked back. And I just think that that energy in itself, that spark that he provided, is what won that basketball game for them last night. And just the energy and the buzz in that building when he did it, the smile on his teammates' faces, the the look on Cal's face. Uh, Keeley got a really good picture of Cal after, I think, the third play that Bryce made. And, and, like, Cal turns and looks at the assistants, and he's like, is he really doing this right now? Like, we've seen this stuff in practice in the fall. We saw it leading up to the season. Maybe he shows that spurt at times in practice. It, like, he's actually doing it now. And she said that he walked to the end of the bench and said, that's what you do when you get an opportunity. And what was his message post game, Jack? He took advantage of his opportunity. He's given some guys opportunities on this roster, and Bross was the guy that took advantage of it last night. And now Bross will have probably another opportunity on Saturday and maybe one after that to see what he does with it. You've got to sustain it. And if he can sustain it, this team, th th this depth that Cal keeps talking about that we keep looking at and going, okay, depth, may maybe seven guys. I think he just – what he means by depth is he's got nine guys that he feels really good about putting them in a game. Even if they're not producing points and a ton of rebounds, they'll go in and not kill you. I think Bryce Hopkins has now moved into that category. Yeah, and, and going back just a bit, I found those assist numbers, that 10% number I was looking at. Uh, Kentucky managed to have just three assists tonight since the start of the 2010-2011 season. Division One men's basketball teams had a combined record of 72 and 505, Sean, which is 12.5% winning percentage when they had three assists or less in a single game. Uh, and then Kentucky, that was its fewest assists in a single game 
uh, since February 14, 1976 at Vanderbilt when, when they just had two. So uh, the, the way they were able to win, uh, as uncomfortable as it was, there wasn't a whole lot of pretty passing, not a lot of beautiful, you know, crazy uh, alley-oops or any easy, uh, you know, easy scoring opportunities in terms of uh, playmaking possibilities. Uh, none of that happened. It, it was just kind of a grind it out, do what you do what you can do, and get the heck out of there. But yeah, I, I couldn't agree more, Sean, about Bryce Hopkins and his impact and what he's going to be able to do moving forward. And Sean, I, I think even uh, bigger picture, we said on this show a couple times that there's that there have been some uh, a little slight whispers of, of the possibility of Bryce Hopkins transferring this offseason. He's a guy that I've been outspoken uh, on this show over and over again, thinking that he's. He could be a massive, massive jump guy as a sophomore. I think he has that P.J. Washington-level potential. I think he has so much skill uh, and, and that, that unique combination of size and skill I, I think would just fit perfectly on this team next season. So I have heard that uh, with you know that type of opportunity, that type of success, he's I, I, I do think the chances of him coming back are, are at least a little bit higher, and I think that's that – clearly makes sense because it's it's you know about opportunity and what you're doing with that opportunity and all that but uh sean that it, it this wasn't just big uh, in terms of last night's win and what it was able to do to you know build that success and keep these wins stacking up it was also the fact that i i do think that it it helped the possibility of bryce coming back next year and i think with bryce in the fold next year uh it it allows guys like jacob Toppin to kind of settle into his, his role you have chris livingston coming in that forward spot is going to be absolutely dynamic next year if it unfolds the way uh, we all kind of hope it is. So uh, that itself, I, I think, is a major win just because you got to get – he just needed to see what that success would look like. I mean, he had no idea what that type of success looked like as a, as a Wildcat. His career high was seven points, and he did it against, you know, Ohio and North Florida. Like that – I mean, what do you – what do you know about yourself if you you haven't seen that peak of greatness uh, at this program? He finally got that taste of it last night, and it's, it had to have been you know appetizing for him. He he had to have looked at that opportunity and go, okay, that's where I fit in on this team. That's where I fit in in this program. If I can bring this to the table, then I can be a star uh, in the next year or so. So uh, I think it, it you know it, just from a win perspective, it was great. But in big picture, I think it was even more important. I agree with you 100%, and that might be the spark that he needs to kind of find his way at Kentucky. We, we've talked about all these other guys. They've had their moments and stuff, and Bryce was the guy that was kind of waiting there. And credit to him, he stayed ready, and he, he broke through in, in a big way. They don't win that game without him, and that's definitely a uh, building thing for this team. And in, when you're Will Wade and you're LSU and you're looking at this, and you're probably sitting there thinking, all right, how, how in the heck do you beat this team? Like they're down their top two guards – they're not scoring the ball in the first half, and, and they're building. You're, you're, you build a double-digit lead. You know, let's just go out here and take care of business in the second half, and then here comes a guy that's at the bottom of the scattering report on you that hasn't done anything and hadn't scored a basket since Mississippi State a month ago, and he goes for 13 on you. That just shows you how strong this team is and how they're all together. And you saw the reaction on Twitter last night from his teammates and that right there just shows you how special this Kentucky team is. They they celebrate one another after every game. It's been Ty Ty Washington get a ton of praise. It'll be Xavier Wheeler. It'll be Oscar, Keon. Uh, last night it was Bryce Hopkins. And no, I don't think any team in college basketball right now loves one another and enjoys being with one another more than this Kentucky team does. And it's evident in the way that they speak, act, and uh, treat one another, not just together, but publicly on social media. 
yeah, every interview you had listened to, listening to Oscar Sheboy talk about Bryce Hopkins and say, uh, we know, we know what he can be. We know we've seen this. We've seen Bryce Hopkins be a star. He was one of our best players all summer long. He dominated, uh, and we were waiting for this moment. He, he just kept saying over, uh, over and over again, I, "I'm just so proud of him. I'm just so proud of him." You saw uh, Jacob Toppin wrap his arm, arms around him and give him a big old bear hug, and you know, pick him up and, and you know, kind of run across the floor with him. And it's just a a camaraderie and, a, and a, a, a chemistry that it's just second to none. I, I watch a lot of college basketball, Sean. I know, I know you do too. I don't see any other teams in college basketball that have a bond the way that this team does. They just, the way they rally together around each other uh, is it's second to none. I haven't seen anybody else at this, at this level uh, have this type of, of chemistry with one another. I think that's something that uh, we heard all off season. We heard, you know, preseason talking to coach Cal about how much they loved each other and all that. Uh, and it's not just for show. It's stuff you, the stuff you hear behind closed doors, you see publicly the stuff you see publicly is the same stuff that happens behind closed doors. It's a two way street. And it's one that it, it just feels like the, it, this team's special, Sean. It just, it just has that feel when you have guys like Bryce Hopkins come off the bench, who hasn't given you anything practically all year long come in and, and kind of save the day for the team and the way the team, you know, rallied around them. It's just like, it just, it feels like destiny. It just feels like that this team is destined to do something special. If you're as shorthanded as you are down your two lead guards, the guy, the two straws that stir the drink, especially Xavier Wheeler as a playmaker, having those two guys out, you expect failure. You expect something bad to happen. And then you just have these other guys step up in place of them and Kellen Grady and Davion Mintz step up even further than what they did before. It's just it just feels like everything is coming together right at the right moment, and and it just it get, makes you feel all, all all warm and fuzzy, Sean, going into uh, this last stretch of the regular season and then going into postseason. It just feels like a team of destiny. It does, and then I know late a lot of people. I mean, it should have been a 14, 15 point win, but LSU kind of chipped away there. Well, not kind of. They they almost came all the way back and had a chance to win it. Uh, but I know the thing that I take away from the end of the game there is that's where you're missing your top two guards. Late in, late in the game situation, LSU, one of the best defensive teams, they picked up their pressure. I actually thought that Will Wade's pressure in the second half was part of the reason why Kentucky was able to get going. I, I don't know why that he didn't just kind of sit back in the half court and just grind it out and, make it a, and continue to make it a half court game. I thought him picking the pace up, uh, with with some of their their different pressures that they put in the dominant one there at the end the two two one, all those things that he did in the second half I actually thought that's why Kentucky was able to kind of get going but late it hurt Kentucky because they were just going for traps we know that LSU was being physical they called they got called for a lot of fouls in that game uh, but there were a couple of times Jack where I thought Keon Brooks picked the ball up way too quickly on uh, some of the the, in, the inbound sets for full court. And I, I get it. You're wanting to get the ball in quick. But Kentucky needed to kind of just let that thing bounce and go get it and then get open. There were I know the five-second call, everybody said it was a quick one. The reason it was a quick one is because he picked it up and the officials started counting, and he was already two seconds into the count before he even turned around to even face the floor and what was going on. It was just some – it was guys that usually aren't in that situation. How many times this year do you think that they've practiced with that lineup on the floor breaking full court pressure? Never. I mean, I'm sure I'm sure they did some this week. Yeah. 
I'm sure they did leading up to that game, but you can't simulate that. You can't simulate what LSU is going to do when your top two guards are out, like because then your top two guards can't defend you. So I just think that a good job just hanging on and holding on to the win. And I'm not going to look into anything like that. I don't think Kentucky's going to have problems the rest of the year when it comes to late game situations and taking care of the basketball against pressure. I, I think they'll be just fine when they get healthy. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. But I will say that this this has become a recurring theme with inbound plays. And, and I, it, there, there was kind of this back and forth. Like, I understand, given the circumstances, with uh, you're down your two lead guards and, and all that. But it, it, just the lack of execution, it just feels like a junior like Keon Brooks getting the ball inbounds and, and holding it and just kind of dancing around with it, knowing that you got to put – you. you you're going to get that 10 second call. You got to get it past that half court line. He would just catch it and hold. And then the, the defense would swarm and, and then make him uncomfortable. And he had a couple turnovers like that. It just felt like a lot of execution stuff that, yeah. uh, that you'd think a guy like Keon would be able to do. And honestly, the, the lack of inbound success that Cal has had over the years, he just kind of had that same, get your biggest guy, your biggest, longest guy and, and toss it up to him, you know, throw an arm up and, and toss it to him. That's been his play. But I remember, I remember our gripes about that. Uh, the PJ Washington year. I remember PJ was that guy, and I remember in March. That's when kind of teams started realizing that they had nothing else outside of that. And I figured that would be when Cal would kind of go, "All right, well, I, I think we need to start, you know, creating some inbound plays, create some more out of bound sets, and all that after timeout sets, all that." But uh, it just, it, I think. That's just kind of something Cal has put on the back burner, and it's not that's never been a top priority for him. And clearly, the, the resume has worked. It's not like it's it's you know something that, that's super imminent. But when it gets exposed in those late late game situations like that, uh, it it just looks way worse than uh, than it probably should be. And when they get back to full strength and they face something like that again late in games, I would be to me I would put somebody like Kellen Grady as the trigger man. When it comes to full court pressure, you know, get Keon out of that spot. Let let a guy that makes good decisions with the ball in his hands. Uh, you, you wouldn't want it to be Savier because he's smaller. You wouldn't want to somebody to be with some length on the basketball. But uh, when you get Ty Ty Savier back, you got Mince there. I'd let Mince or Grady or one of those guys kind of inbound the ball against pressure and, and make the right decision and, and get the ball in quick. But Kentucky was doing a lot of stuff uh, running into you know, trying to get open instead of setting screens and stepping back to the ball. And it's just all coach preference and and what they want to do. I think late I would have probably just ran a diagonal screen and then if they switch it, step back to the ball and get the ball inbounds. But 
they definitely weren't running anything. And then they finally brought Oscar up there and just tossed it up to him and, and got fouled. And they were able, able to escape with the win. Now, that does need to improve, but I think it's something that when they get into March and you get those two guards back, I think they'll be fine. I honestly do. Yeah, it, it's and I, I tweeted something like that, like late game execution for both uh, the coaches and, and the players hasn't been great. Like clearly acknowledging it's a hell of a win. Like there's no other way to put it. It was an unbelievable win. I have nothing but praise for this team, but I, I thought it was just funny that that was the one thing fans kind of nitpicked with what I said. It was like, uh, are you gonna are you gonna say that this late game execution has been great? There was a 15 point lead with three minutes left, and now it's a four point game. Like clearly the execution hasn't been great. I'm not saying fire cow. This is an atrocity. I'm just saying it hasn't been the best late game situation and execution that we've seen Cal have. It's just you know one of the the fan things that always crack me up. It's, it's <laughs> you say one slight, ever so slight negative thing and they want to you know tear your neck out but whatever it was i could not be more positive and, 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 po- and optimistic about how things unfolded the way they did the way they they clawed back and, and backs against the wall again back-to-back games like that i was just uh I, I was just really impressed from start to finish on you brought up that physicality a couple times there was something that i noticed a lot during the game is kentucky earned it i mean they were initiating that contact all game long down low, they were fighting and, and, and trying to draw fouls. And it, I, I kind of felt that was part of the game plan was uh, to try to muck things up on their end as well, knowing that you were down your two you know, primary ball handlers, uh, that they were going to need some scoring and, and you know, outside of, of uh, just you, with, with those two guys out, they, they were going to have to find some other scoring outlets elsewhere. And I thought that they did a phenomenal job of initiating that contact, drawing fouls. It's something that I've kind of, been begging for for a lot of these games I, I remember going why why are we not attacking you know you get them in foul trouble and they're not attacking the dudes in foul trouble go at them go at their throats you know, you know try to foul them out get to the line get some free points uh, and I think that was a clear point of emphasis for Cal uh, all game long is to get you know the three bigs out once they uh, fouled uh, I know Efton Reed and Tari Eason they both got early fouls and our Tari Eason fouled out really really early he's actually one of the late uh, draft picks that, that Jonathan Gavoni, I believe, put him in the first round of the, his latest mock draft. So, I mean, getting those two guys out relatively early kind of allowed uh, a lot of that freedom down low that, that Oscar Sheway was able to have and, and let him kind of uh, work that post a little bit. So uh, I, I thought that was another very impressive part of, of Cal's game plan was you got to get points somewhere. Why don't you get them in a freeway? Yeah, I agree with that. I, I thought overall the last two games, the staff really had excellent game plans, and I, I think you saw the poise that this team plays with, the the poise that this staff has not to panic. I mean, it, it was easy to panic there in the first half, but Kentucky just dug in, and they found a way to win. Davion Mintz made big plays. Uh, Jacob Toppin, all those guys across the board just, just made big plays. This stretch of play here, every like I said, everything that this team has been through since SEC play started, it has prepared them for the NCAA tournament. And I'm going to stand by it, and I'm going to stand by it until the season ends, Jack. And if I'm wrong in April or in March, I'll come back and say, okay, I was wrong. This team was more prepared. I think we're going to be sitting here in about four weeks saying exactly what I've said for the last three now. No team in college basketball is more prepared for the NCAA tournament than Kentucky. When it comes to what they've dealt with with injuries and people being out, when it's come to adversity that they faced, 
Uh, now that's two double-digit come-from-behind wins. I know, let's see here, I, th- I think UK just tweeted it, actually. It was uh, the Texas A&M game, and then that one. Um, I mean, just look at all that this team has been through, that, that they've done in the last, what, six weeks. Name one thing that they've not seen yet. Now, I will say this. They can't go to Fayetteville on Saturday and get down 12, 13 points in the first half. Because if they do, that building will bury you. Like you have got to get off to a good start and kind of have some some good energy there early, not let Arkansas push anything out to 13 or 14. You need to – maybe you can live with seven to eight, but you need to stay within striking distance. And uh, all college basketball is going to have their eyes on Kentucky again Saturday. And if they're going to a tough place to play, but it would be a huge win if they can find a way to get it. Will they be at full strength? We have no idea. If you ask John Calipari, uh, he doesn't know either. It's a quick turnaround, too. I mean, it, it's tough to – with this Wednesday late-night game at 9 p.m., uh, it basically sets you back an entire day because, you know, slow to get moving the next day. And, and you know, it just kind of – it delays everything. So, uh, you know, are let me, those – Let me correct two- myself here. It was first time with back-to-back double-digit deficits overcome since 2019 when they beat Texas A&M and Vandy. So they were down double digits against Alabama and then last night against LSU. So the first time they've done it in back-to-back games since 2019. I didn't want that stat to to go too long without me correcting it. That's a good stat. I I really like that. But uh, it just makes you think, Sean, and, you know, kind of shifting gears to bigger picture uh, thing. You know, we were talking about the the kind of win-win situation, getting these guys healthy. Uh, Kentucky's now number three in the net, number three in the Kempom, three BPI, four in the Sagarin rankings. So consensus top four team in the advanced numbers. Uh, if you ask the tournament committee, they're the selection committee, they have UK right now at six. Um, this this territory, Sean, is kind of that – it's it's all icing on the cake knowing that you got very likely a two-seed locked up. Um, you – you want to get those those two guys healthy, but at the same time, uh, you, there is a lot of value in securing a one seed in the NCAA tournament. As things stand right now, they are kind of on pace to being that number one seed, but a couple late losses. Uh, however, if they keep kind of playing with fire without their two lead guards, they're going to get burned eventually. And, the, and yeah. at Arkansas is a place where they could very well get burned. So, Sean, put on your coaching hat. How would you approach this last final stretch of games, these last three games, knowing that, you know, say they're both 90% healthy, not 100% yet, but they're 90% healthy, but knowing the value that comes with being, you know, maybe not even the SEC tournament, but the value that comes with being a number one seed in the NCAA tournament, how do you juggle that knowing that, yeah, they'd probably be able to play and be able to play with, uh, you know, quite a bit of success. This would be a Tennessee, Ty Ty Washington situation. I think that they'd probably both be uh, ready to play. Uh, do you risk that knowing that it could result in, in further injury, or do you think that uh, you would you would go all in on, on it knowing that uh, a one seed is the the ultimate prize well, when it comes to seeding? Well, I mean, it's it's a tricky spot to be in because, one, let's see here. So they've not played since Tennessee, so – if they miss Saturday, then we're talking two weeks that they've not played. So you'd want to get them in there to establish rhythm. And you don't want to do that in the SEC tournament because let's say you go down there and you lose your first game. So then you've played one game. You've not really had two or three games to kind of build that chemistry and that rhythm back. 
I feel like if you don't do it Saturday, your hope is that they're both healthy by Ole Miss. And then you can play them in those final two regular season games and then go into the SEC tournament. That gets you at least three games under your belt before you go into March into the NCAA tournament. But to me, 90%, I don't I don't think at this point in the season anyone's 100% yeah, on any team. So if, if you're at 90 to 95% and I can see you practice with no pain and it doesn't limit you and what you can do and you can't injure anything, you know, injure something worse than what it already was and it's getting better – I would probably give it a go. And that's where I would trust those two guys. I would trust my training staff this week. But if I'm Cal, I'm saying if you can't go full speed tomorrow at practice, I'm not playing you on Saturday. Like I would have to see you practice full speed one time, maybe go half speed the day before. Like if they could get on the floor today and do something and then go full speed tomorrow with contact and up and down and and moving well, then I would probably look at playing them on Saturday. As long as you have that trust between you and your training staff and 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 they're good with it and you're good with it, you, I just don't think you want to get into it where you're only going one game before playing an NCAA tournament. You want to be able to play – it'd be perfect if you get these next three, then win the SEC tournament and play six games going into uh, the NCAA tournament in mid-March. But just talking about a one seed, to me, a one seed, two seed does not matter for this team. What matters to me with this team is they get Indianapolis that first weekend. I think that would be big because you know Kentucky fans are going to travel and they're going to travel well. And then if you could get Chicago or Philly, I think you're going to have a huge amount of Kentucky fans as well. But Saturday, so Joe Lenardi did move Kentucky ahead of Baylor. I don't know if you saw that or not this afternoon yep. in his bracket bracket update. And I, I mean – did Kentucky do anything like significant the last two days when it comes to resume with quality teams? No. I mean, they won two quad one games, two teams that they're better than, but I think it's because of how they did it. They did it shorthanded. And I think Joe looks and says, all right, the committee is going to take notice of that where Baylor went on the road to Stillwater the other night and struggled, but got a win in overtime. So I think Lenardi looked at that and said, okay, what Kentucky's done against Alabama and LSU, that's enough to bump them up. You could see it flip on Saturday. If, Auburn goes to Knoxville and loses, and Kentucky goes to Bud Walton and wins, Kentucky then becomes the favorite to get that last number one over Auburn. And you could see it flip on Saturday. Saturday could have a lot of momentum and implications on what the NCAA tournament looks like at the top because if Kentucky goes to a place where Auburn lost, a place where Arkansas has just been unbelievable this year at home beating all these quality teams, they can if Kentucky goes there and does it, and then Auburn loses on the road in Knoxville. You got two teams tied for the top in the SEC. Kentucky could steal that one seed from Auburn, and I'm I'm sure Auburn fans would absolutely hate that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just a really tricky situation because I just going back two games after that Tennessee game, Cal basically said, you know what, this is what it is. I don't care how how many games we lose to close out the season. We get to go o o and four in that or the o and five in that last stretch. Whatever, I don't care. All I care about is getting my team healthy by March, all that. But then you go out and you win two very, very impressive games, arguably the two biggest – I think Arkansas I'd I'd put right there, but two of the three biggest games to close out the schedule. You go out and win those games shorthanded without them, and it kind of puts you in that situation where there's three games left that are right on the cusp of maybe sliding in there. I mean, shoot, if Auburn loses on Saturday and then, you know – who do they who do they play the, those last two games, Sean? Is there a chance that they slip up in either of those games as well? 
Um, they have Mississippi State, right. South Carolina. Right. I mean, you never know. I, I mean, you just never know uh, that Mississippi State game is, is on the road as well. It's a Wednesday night game. It's 9 p.m. You know, those games, as we saw last night, they get uh, wonky at times. So you just never know. Uh, I mean, they're now kind of in that danger zone territory where Kentucky very well could steal, you know, steal it late. I mean, they, they could come in and, and steal that number one seed uh, in the regular season, win the regular season championship, and then go into go down to Tampa as the number one overall seed. I mean, that in itself, stealing the, the one seed in the NCAA tournament would be the, the ultimate prize, but it'd be one heck of a prize as well if you're able to steal that, that uh, regular season championship. So uh, they, they two, three games ago after that Tennessee game, Cal kind of said, you know what, whatever happens, happens, but now that you've won these two games, it kind of puts you in that tough spot. Like, do you go all in with it? How do you approach uh, those two injuries, knowing that you're right on the cusp of potentially something uh, special to close out this regular season? It's it's a very tough situation. Well, we'll get this. Let's just say that Kentucky wins out. Let's say they beat Arkansas on Saturday. Then I think you you're confident that they can win those last two. I think they could go to Florida in the last game of the regular season and win it. Let's say Auburn loses at Tennessee. So and then Auburn wins out. Auburn will get the one seed in Tampa because they would have the head-to-head tiebreaker when it comes to SEC tournament seeding. They would share the SEC crown, but if that plays out, Auburn would have the one seed in Tampa, but Kentucky would probably be the favorite on the one seed line in the NCAA tournament. So, like, <laughs> like just one of those things where it, it's all going to play out over the next couple of weeks. My hope is that we see Kentucky and Auburn in the title game. Like, I want to see that game with Kentucky healthy and with all their guards available. I want to see it on that stage. I think it would be really good for the league. And I just think that this team would be fired up to kind of go out there and prove itself. And, and that's a matchup that I want to see. I, I want to see Kentucky go to Na- or to Nashville, uh, to Tampa, and see them play a Tennessee again. I want to see them play in Auburn again. I want to see quality games, quad one games, for them to add to their resume I'm going to stand by it. This is a team that's going to enter the NCAA tournament with 10-plus quad one victories. I've been saying it for about two or three weeks now when you look at their resume. It's going to be one of the better resumes in college basketball on Selection Sunday. The last two wins make it even more impressive because they did it without their top two guards. Yeah, the quad one at Arkansas, then that quad one at Florida, uh, that Ole Miss home game is is uh, quad three, but uh, then you clearly have another – another quad one or two opportunity in the SEC tournament. And then from there, it's uh, uh, straight on till morning. We have selection Sunday from there. It, it, Sean, it's just crazy how quick this season has gone. And uh, just, uh, I mean, a night and day difference from last season. I mean, we're just having so much fun covering every single game. And uh, it seems like there's a new storyline every single game. You know, one day Oscar's dominating, the next day is Kellen. And then the next day it's Bryce Hopkins of all people. It's just, uh, man, what a, what a way to end the year, and it's just getting me all, all amped up. I uh, Every time Coach Cal talks, I mean, shoot, last night he said Bryce Hopkins was a guy that uh, is going to help us on our NCAA tournament run. Like, I think Cal even knows that there's a, a run to be had. It's not going to be an early exit for him. So uh, I, I think that the team's confident, the coaching staff's confident, and I, I sure as heck am confident as well, Sean. Yeah, I am too. I think this is the, one of the best teams in college basketball. I think they're going to go on a run. I think it's going to be one to remember, and uh, I tweeted today, buckle up and enjoy it because uh, you've not had one in three years. So I'm, I'm ready to cover it, and I know you all are ready to watch it, and we're ready to talk about it. 
Well, we'll uh, get out of here with this. Let's uh, we'll, we'll have a pregame show ready to go uh, prior to that Arkansas game. But let's wrap this one up. Uh, in particular, the NBA season is well underway, and there isn't a better way to enjoy watching your favorite Wildcats play than by playing daily fantasy with our friends at Prize Picks. Prize Picks is the simplest form of real money daily fantasy sports and just pits you against the numbers, whether you're a fantasy sports nut or a casual basketball fan looking to add some excitement to the games. Uh, Prize Picks is the perfect game for you. You simply select two to five players and predict if they will go over or under their projection. Prize Picks give you the chance to win 10 times your money for getting four or five predictions correct. Download the Prize Picks app or visit prizepicks.com using promo code Pilgrim to get an instant 100% bonus up to $100 on your first deposit. Don't forget that's the Prize Picks app or prizepicks.com using promo code Pilgrim to claim your bonus today and take your viewing of your favorite former Kentucky stars to the next level. Sean Smith, let's get the heck out of here. Where can fans find your work? You can find my work at GoBigBlueCountry.com, and you can follow me on Twitter at GBBCountry. Find me on Twitter as well at JackPilgrimKSR. Reach out to me via email at JPilgrim at KentuckySportsRadio.com. Shout out to Prize Picks. Shout out to Justice Dental. We'll be back again for the pregame show. We'll see you then. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.